0: Ecclesiastes, sorry. We're going to be there the entire chapter. We're going to jump right into it today. We've got the whole chapter to cover. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Hey, uh, in chapter 1, if you missed that study, uh, we find Solomon. You guys know Solomon, hopefully by now. You Bible scholars, the wisest man that ever lived, found himself on this search for meaning. And what he found out... Was the reality of contentment and fulfillment under the sun as he quoted it there in chapter 1 as he put it living on this earth while we're under these clouds and on this ground in this time that we've been allotted in our life by God there's really nothing that we're going to find that will do the trick nothing's going to fulfill us it's an endless chase to find meaning apart from Christ. An endless chase. It's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you energy, and most likely everything else if you try to find understanding and contentment and fulfillment, put your own word in there, apart from the wisdom and the satisfaction that is found solely in the power and the presence of God. Solomon called this task burdensome. You can find that there in chapter 1. And it sure can seem that way sometimes. I mean, not because, as you know, God has not hidden Himself from us. He's not hoping that we have to look too hard and making us go through all these, these trials and hoops so that we can find Him. No, He's wide out in the, in the open. He wants us to find Him. That's not the problem. But, but, but pride in our lives and selfishness and distrust... And misplaced faith, on and on and on we can go, make it super hard to find God, and it clouds our vision a little bit. We try to make up answers (laughs) to questions we were never meant to ask, the things that only God knows about. And it doesn't take long to realize that this search, this endless search that's innate in all of us, that's placed in all of us, can be found, completed, done in the person of Jesus. (laughs) Realizing our search can't be focused on this full understanding, we can't set out to understand all of it, because we just aren't designed to understand all of it. Simply trusting in Christ, trusting in the hope of heaven and all these things, and his love for us is where we're at. That's why Jesus said in Matthew, You take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find, notice, rest, <laughs> contentment, fulfillment, rest for your souls. Why? Because my yoke is easy and the burden is light. That's the way it's designed to be peace in Christ. And as wise as Solomon was, he just couldn't stop searching for what he thought that he needed. And chapter 2 is this next step, this next path that Solomon chose to take. When he realized that wisdom and trusting in God might not be enough, not understanding all the things that the Word and the stability of God gives us, hope and faith and trust... Forgo all these things. He looks elsewhere. He bypasses all of the logic and begins to look again. And spoiler alert, just like chapter 1, it doesn't end well. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Ecclesiastes, I keep abbreviating that in my head. You guys know where I'm at though, right? I don't know what happened. Maybe like a mini stroke or something. Verse 1, I said in my heart... Come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure, but surely this was also vanity, just as a reminder. So he kind of sums up the whole book in the first verse, but then he gives us the steps on how he came to this conclusion. He uses that word vanity. And we talked about this in the last time we were in Ecclesiastes. The word Hebel is that word, or Hebel, however you want to pronounce it. The word is nearly impossible to nail down in its essential meaning. Different Bible scholars have different definitions. They translate the word in in kind of a variety of different ways, from meaningless to emptiness other times in Scripture you'll see this word, it refers to a vapor, something that's, that's wispy, and something that's fleeting, something that's elusive, something that's quickly gone. You guys get, get the picture. It really doesn't matter which translation you choose to apply. They all carry a very similar definition. Anything that we wish or hope to substitute in our life to take the place of this God-shaped hole that we all have in our hearts is vanity. It's worthless, it's fleeting, and temporary at best. And Solomon now looking back on his life, writing this word, uses arguably the most. Man, we're just right there at the point of feeding back. I don't know if someone's up there or not. You can bum it down a little bit. i talk talked pretty loud. Is that too much? How's that? You guys still hear me okay? Back row okay? Nobody answers. Okay, thumbs up from the back row. I like that. Solomon uses arguably the most descriptive word he could find to kind of clue us in as a caution to anyone who may have thoughts about a life, a life lived outside of God's design. He was convinced that there was more to life than what he saw before him. And he set out to find that contentment and that fulfillment in all these different areas. He had the time. You guys remember Solomon's story. He had the time. He had the money. And there was really nothing holding him back. And he didn't dip a toe in the water as we find out. Man, Solomon goes all in there in verse 2. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart. How to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heavens all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses. I planted myself vineyards. I made gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I had acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and of flocks than all those who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds." And so I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all of my labor. (laughs) How many times in our life do we think to ourselves, man, I would love this kind of life. I mean, what if we could live exactly the way that we wanted with no restrictions whatsoever? Go where we wanted, spend the amount of money that we wanted. If we wanted it, if we saw it, if we thought about it, we could have it. And it seems like a life that would be exciting and full of reward. To have the guts it takes to live that way alone is a pretty impressive thing. I mean, just spending money untold amounts of money with no restrictions has to be the way to go, right? (laughs) I did a little research. Let's say you had the means, you know, Solomon rich, not just rich, but Solomon rich, basically an unlimited amount of finances. Let's say you had a billion dollars and you were my age. I'll leave that up to you to guess. But I'm feeling I got 20 to 25 good years left. That's a high estimate, but I'm taking it. But I don't want to leave any behind. I want to spend it all. Not too concerned about leaving an inheritance. It's my money, I earned it, I'm going to spend it. Listen, you have to spend $40 million for the next 25 years. That's $3 million a month. Break it down even further, where I live, you have to spend over $100,000 a day for the next 25 years in order to spend $1 billion. (laughs) In other words, it cannot be done unless you're an absolute idiot. You could spend $100,000 a day for maybe a day or two, the initial things, but you would have to be incredibly Stupid to do that for 25 years in a row. And that's the life that Solomon is describing here in chapter 2. He had properties, he had vineyards, countless herds of livestock, an enormous staff. I mean, enormous to keep all of this going. So many that they had children born into his house. Always hosting parties, throwing concerts for himself. Not to mention... The bulk of this finance, can you imagine, husbands, with 700 wives and 300 concubines at your disposal, the endless sea of gifts that you're responsible for? You have one birthday a year and you screw it up every year. Try three to four a day. And knowing the money that Solomon had, They're not going to be satisfied with a four-for-four at Wendy's. (laughs) Like, are you serious? I want some stuff. Big camel. I don't want the sheep. I want the camel. I don't know what the expensive gift was as a wife back then. Listen. He says there in verse 10, whatever my eyes desired, he looked, he saw, he got. He literally had it all. But then he says there in verse 11, I looked at all the works and all the labor which I had toiled. And again, he found the same conclusion it's vanity, it's grasping for the wind. There's no profit from that kind of life under the sun. After all that wisdom, he failed. After all that spending, he failed realizing that all of that is just emptiness. It's just grasping for things that you can't catch. No profit, no gains, nothing that the world has is sustainable. It's all temporary. We, the church, kind of think sometimes that we would be immune to that sort of thing. I mean, if I won the lottery, I mean, let's be real. I would build only what I need, a very minimalistic house, live simply, Spend it only on widows and orphans, right? You know, buy the world a Coke. That's how to spend my money. It's a great concept, but I know that I would fail immediately. It's our nature to lose focus. And so, the opposite side of Solomon's equation kind of falls into our lap. And it's not a safe road either. I mean, let's face it, most of us are not going to have the opportunity, this moral dilemma of too much finances, too much fame, too much fortune. And that's okay, but it doesn't make us immune to looking at the wrong things, there's a stockpiling, if you will, in our, in our life on the bottom, as I'll call it. Not unlimited funds, and we're not all broke and living in a box, but we're not going to have that kind of money. And so, we think, well, I'll do other things. I'll, I'll, I'll serve. We have great experiences as a Christian and in the church and missions fields that require no money. They're amazing. And yet we fall into this trap like I don't have to worry about spending too much time and too much money. My energies are spent really just focusing on what what God wants me to do. It sounds great, and it might be true, but we have to be careful. Distractions come in every shape and form. In Luke's Gospel we find the Lord kind of talking about how easy it is to drift off. In Luke chapter 10, he says, After these things, Luke writing, The Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. And behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves." Carry neither money bag, nor knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. In other words, get to where you're supposed to go. I mean, the 70 are sent out. No, by Christ Himself. So, that should clue you in that He's teaching. He's always teaching in these lessons. There's a slight catch. It sounds like a great trip, but don't take anything with you. No cash, no provisions. Just go and preach the gospel of Christ. Go and preach to the houses, to the churches. Preach repentance. Preach Christ. Preach boldly in the name of Jesus. Witness for His name's sake. And they did just that. The Lord sent them out. And no doubt in these kind of events when you're focused on doing these things, you guys have done mission trips and that kind of stuff. You, you kind of have some amazing things happen. You have great conver- conversations and great experiences because you're so focused. And no doubt the same returned there in Luke 10 with the report that's very similar. The 70 came back and saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I mean, isn't that the way we would do it if the Lord sent us out or you guys have been on mission trips with us in the past and we go to these places, local and foreign missions, and we come back with this awesome report And we tell the stories of how the most simple things and the most mundane events brought the most fruit. Or we got to talk to someone or lead someone to Christ. I mean that's why we went. It wasn't too long ago when we were down in Guatemala. They have this service down there called the Peregrino Service. Our pro presenter guys are now losing it because I'm way off script. You all right, Marion? All right, wave, thumbs up, got it. Hey, so anyway, they have this service called the Peregrino Service. And it's this homeless service, and they put them in this room, and Missy and Elizabeth and a few of you guys have went in there and seen it. It's not a very big room, and they're going to feed them, and they give Bible study. And then they they put them in this room, and they lock this door behind them. (laughs) They lock them in there because they know if they eat, they'll leave. And I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to be good. I mean, you can imagine that. We're going to feed you guys, but we're going to put you in this box, lock the door. And so we, we feed him, we do the devotional, and we're kind of ministering. And I'm talking to this guy, and he was talking about some struggles he had. And we were conversing about things, and you know, I was kind of counseling him. And, and I thought, wait a second. <laughs> and I thought, man, this is a silly question, but are you speaking English? Because <laughs> we're talking in English, and I'm thinking, it's just one of those spiritual moments or I'm over there and the whole crew's amazed because I'm like, don't obviously, I'm talking Spanish, which I don't. Or he is, I just didn't know. He goes, Yeah, I grew up in Houston. I was deported after 25 years. I'm like, Oh, man, it kind of rattled my cage. I was kind of hoping for the other outcome. Like, man, the spirit filled me and I was just speaking fluent Spanish. So that was a giant letdown. But anyway, I've told that story because it's amazing. And that's what we do. And that's what they did. They came back with unreal stories. Even, I mean, the, even the demons' remark is kind of the culmination, but everything underneath, you can imagine. And then this and then even the demons were subject. It seems like the win for this group. But the Lord was so quick to recenter his spiritual elite. And he said, Hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, yeah, that's all cool, but but don't get caught up in this amassing of of these victories. There's a warning not to get caught up in the success that the Lord Brings us. Don't get all twisted up in the times that God has used you to bless someone. Yeah, He gave you the authority. What did you really think was going to happen? I mean, we have His authority in His name. Good things are going to happen. But in a very short amount of time, the 70 began to check boxes. Check. Minister to people. Check. You don't need money anymore. They need spiritual things. They want the good things, the good fruit. just amassing this form of spiritual wealth. It's the same mindset that Solomon faced. Listen, don't do it. It's vanity. It's grasping for things we're never meant to lay hold of. Keep the focus in our life where it needs to be. Not in the success of our spiritual walks, but that Jesus came to save period. That is the Gospel message. I mean, Paul the Apostle, I mean, let's, let's move all the way up, Have built a storehouse of accomplishments. And yet you see him over and over and over again returning back to the base things of his life, the most important things. And he writes to Timothy there in 1 Timothy, and I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me It's my favorite verse of the Bible because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is the faithful saying. Here's the recenter, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. It never left Paul. Like I'm the stop. I don't care about all this stuff. Jesus came to save sinners. Period. And Solomon learns his lesson. You can skip ahead in this book and go all the way to the end of it and find out. He does learn his lesson. He recorded this with the hope that we would read it and understand we don't have to go through all these things. Of course, we're talking about the money. And the things that got Solomon in trouble, we have to understand even though our social status or financial pictures are different, our minds and hearts are the same. We are sinful, imperfect. The common ground that we share, both great and small, both rich and poor, that binds us together is a need for wisdom, a need for Christ. Jesus at the wheel and in control. Paul writes this in Romans. There is no difference. I mean, look at that. There's no difference. It doesn't say for some, for the poor, for the rich, for the greedy have fallen. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the first step of that Roman road is we're all the same. We're hopeless sinners. So we need Jesus. We need a Savior. In Colossians, Paul writes again there's neither Greek nor Jew, or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But listen, it's Christ is all and is in all. And in case you haven't figured it out, the psalmist writes, all men shall fear and declare the work of God for they shall wisely consider His doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in Him and all the upright in heart shall glory. We need something else besides finances and experiences. We need Christ. Why is it so important that we consider commonality over success. Solomon continues there in verse 12, "'I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly.' As light excels darkness, and the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that this same event happens to them all. And so I said in my heart, As it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was then I more wise? Then I said in my heart, This is also vanity, for there is no more remembrance of the wise man than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. How how does a wise man die as a fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun, there's that term again, was distressing to me. All is vanity and grasping for the wind. I mean, verse 15 of that section hits us right in the face. It's really the feel-good moment of our time together today. Rich, poor, famous, unnoticed. You can build an empire or just sit around and wait. It really doesn't matter. We're all going to die. (laughs) Yay, death, right? I remember idolizing baseball players and football players as a young kid, thinking I had a shot at it. Those goals seemed reachable at one point in my life. I had plenty of years to practice and hone a skill set. And, you know, with a few breaks here and there, I could reach that goal of maybe a pro athlete of some kind. Flash forward <laughs> to where I am today. I see these children who are playing baseball for a living. These, these kids who are on the football field and on the basketball courts. And I'm struggling each morning just to put on my shirt You know, it's like, ow, something popped, something broke, something gave way. I'm 52 years old, believe it or not, because I look so young, I know. And I'm not sure where on this scale that I'm at right now at 52. But I'm certain (laughs) that I am way closer to death than birth. Right? When you guys can... Understand that the wisdom to know how this thing all ends is a key for us to learn. We are all going to face mortality at some point. James writes this in chapter 4 Today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year and buy and sell and make a profit, you know, making these plans, whereas you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Here's this word, it's a vapor. It's vanity. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now listen, that understanding that we're not guaranteed anything. The past is the past, the present is over, now it's already over again. We're not guaranteed anything. And that type of godly wisdom should lead us to a very urgent... Decision In Deuteronomy we find this charge that all of you stand today before the Lord your God and your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, and also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into a covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today." that he may establish today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you. I mean, did you catch that terminology? Did you catch that urgency there? Paul writes in the second book of Corinthians, Behold, now is the accepted time, that today is the day of salvation. We're only guaranteed that. And the vanity here that Solomon writes about, these fleeting moments... And this vapor that He calls our life really just kind of clues us into this reality that we all face. And that's not to terrify us in any way, shape, or form. We're not going to walk around scared about all these things coming around the corner we don't know. It's simply to really inform us and to give us the truth. (laughs) We're all getting older, but there is a real reason for your life. There's a real substance that you should be grabbing hold of. It has nothing to do, nothing to do with your finances and your successes and everything to do with, do you have a way out of this thing? If it all ends today, where are you? Hopefully, we see that. And as we continue, we find that Solomon did not. He goes on there in verse 18, I hated all of my labor. I mean, all of this stuff. And he goes, I hated it. I toiled under the sun because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. In other words, his son or his daughters or whoever's taking the throne. Need somebody. Got him. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over my labor which I toiled in and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This is vanity. Therefore I turned my heart and I despaired all of the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. <laughs> you guys understand that what he's saying? I've done all these things... I've done all this stuff, and I am going to hand it over to people who may or may not care about a single thing that I'm responsible for, a single thing that I've amassed. I don't know whether my, my successor is going to be a wise man or a fool. I just know that I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm going to hand it over, and then it's over. They can do with what they want. It's a great evil, he calls it. For what has a man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart, which he has told unto the Son? For all his days are sorrowful, and his work is burdensome. Even the night his heart takes no rest. This is also vanity. Man, Solomon is a genuine downer. (laughs) You know what I mean? He's a genuine depressed soul at this point. The kind of guy you want to hang around with. It's all, we're all going to die, nothing matters, you know. (laughs) Nothing is better, he says there in verse 24, for a man that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than me? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This is all vanity, vanity. He knows it's going to end. He knows someone's going to take his place and may or may not continue in his goals, in his same priorities, you name it. And it threw him into this huge tailspin. I turned my heart and I despaired all of this labor when I thought about it. You know, he really had lost sight. I mean, keep in mind this is Solomon, the wisest man that's ever been born, the wisest king the wisest, the richest, all of these things, he lost sight of the purpose in his life was to find God, not to find experiences, not to find finances, but to find God. So much so that the love of God, that's for each one of us, the perfect love of God, the agape love of Christ, the all-knowing God of the Bible, however you want to phrase that, this God was almost completely out of Solomon's view at this point. He says, sinners and the saved alike will expect nothing in this life, should expect nothing in this life, but emptiness and vanity. And listen, that's the truthful thing that Solomon said. We can't expect anything. Solomon teaches from this learn from my mistake kind of teaching. We all could use that kind of direction sometimes people in our lives who you know how to do the right thing i love those kind of things but solomon chooses to go the other way by just instructing us on the paths he's went down stay away from these paths and the picture that solomon paints recalls the life of a person you know in this case himself who was decided to do things in their own understanding they've tried to figure this thing out This equation, if you will, of what plus what equals the best. He didn't find anything. I mean, finances, possessions, properties. Everything he put his hand to in life became daunting and at times even depressing because he separated this life from a life lived for God. And if we understand, really, if we have ears to hear, as the Bible says, what Solomon is trying to say here is that a life lived apart from God, not that you can't have finances, not that you can't have experiences. You can amass all these things. There are tons of people who have those things. And they're great, and they're fine, and you should enjoy those things. But those things apart, separate from a life of God, is not a life that anyone should want to live. They go hand in hand. If you've been given finances, God has gave you those, now use them for His purposes. If you've been given experiences, use them for His kingdom. It all ties back into the central person of Christ. Near the end of Paul's life, you know, when he was in prison, which he never really got out of, He was trying to square things up with these churches. I mean, he understood this wisdom that Paul did all these things. Paul had this experience. Paul was converted on that road to Damascus. And all these things that Paul went through, he's going to leave this into the hands of the churches. But they need to figure out the base of what they were doing. Not rest in what he had done. He understood his life was used up, and now it's going to be passed on to the next generation. They have to carry it forward, not with success and experiences, but with the central person of Christ. And he makes sure that we find a much clearer path than Solomon did. And he writes there to the church in Colossians, if you have received Christ, since you have done this thing, since you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so just walk in Him. Just walk. We don't have to run. We don't have to crawl. Just move forward and walk, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Why? Beware, he says there in verse 8, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. It's very simple. The world tries to cheat us. We try to cheat ourselves through this philosophy. Well, if I just had this, I could do this. If I just had these experiences, I would know God's with me. That, that, that's, that's emptiness. That's vanity. That's deceit. Too much thought in this temporary life are going to cause you problems. Why is that? Things don't make sense. We were just talking... Thursday night after our midweek about the the chain of events that got you to this seat today. The chain of events that got you with the person you're with or in the house you live in or the job you have. 20 years ago when you were trying to redirect your path, you could have messed it all up if you'd have got your way, but God got His way. God did His work. The promises of the world, which by the way, do not fulfill... Are gonna leave you always searching and understand the, the basis of Solomon's wisdom and the basis for these seats today is that we need Christ. Does that make sense? You guys are like, who? I'm like, yes, Christ. All that you need, the, the finances you currently have, whether big or small, it doesn't matter, the experiences. The service that you do for Christ. All that you need is found in the person of Christ. It doesn't matter what he stacks onto that. It has to be the foundational point. It's amazing to think what Solomon went through. But at this point, you know, you can read ahead. Like I said, he finally did come to the conclusion that it's all about God. It has to be all about God. We can't just point five this thing and expect things to go Our way. It's not a, hey, God got me to this point. Now I can take it from here. Thanks God for that. But I got it. It's never supposed to be that way. It's always a striving to make sure that we are on the same page. There's some dark days ahead for Solomon if you finish this book, some really dark days. It's best, the warning, it's best just to stay in the wisdom of God. And not let our minds and our vision and our goals grab a foothold. The easiest person to deceive us is sometimes ourselves. Paul writes in Philippians, and we're 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 practically done here. So I don't know if Karen's closing. She has a is she in here somewhere? Oh, there she is. Man. Fifty two. I'm not even paying attention. Paul writes to the church in Philippians, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And he says, brethren, I don't count myself to apprehended, but this I do. I forget those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And I love this term, I press. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's so key, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, you, the church, as many as are mature, have this mind. But he says this if anything in you thinks otherwise, that's that deceit. That's our mind. That's our heart. If anything in you thinks otherwise, God's going to reveal that to you. Just, just change it. That's such an important point for us this morning that we are so easily tricked. I mean, this thing isn't firing on all eight cylinders sometimes. You know, we, we see things wrong and we cloud things up. Because we begin to think that because of God, I should have steps forward that are greater and and bigger. But really, that's not the case. All we have is Christ. Everything else is just added to it. And that's an amazing foothold to grab in our day to realize that it doesn't take a lot for me anymore. Just knowing that I'm in in the will of God. And that doesn't mean I'm in the will of God because this happened or I'm in the will of God because I, I came across some, some finance or something great happened in my life or something good happened in my life. No, I'm in the will of God. That's where it ends. That's all Paul said. I, I, don't, I don't want any of this stuff. I don't, I don't know anything. I just know that I'm looking for that prize and that upward call, that mindset. You know, that biblical worldview, those things are stability in this planet. Under the sun, you can find those type of things. Listen, why don't we bow our heads and cut you guys out of here today? But I know (laughs) that that God has assigned seating this morning. I know that that God has a plan for you to be here. The reason I know that is because you're here. <laughs> and that's such a that's such a blessing to God that we set aside time, that we set aside hearts and minds to just listen. And so I'm gonna ask a pretty easy question. <laughs> it, if you need to know that stability of Christ today, I mean, you're in this seat. The chain that has brought you here is maybe maybe kind of hard to figure out, but man, it's ordained. And there's no one in this building that's not supposed to be here. And so if that's you today and you need that, that heart of Christ, I'm going to ask you to, just raise your hand. I can see it, and, and and you can put it right back down. You don't have to keep it up there. But but listen, the Creator God of the universe loves you and and brought you to this place to minister to speak. And it's such a blessing to get to sit here and listen, not to me, but to His Word, and to learn from from this this man who struggled with just trying to live life outside of the heart of Christ. And so if that's you, I mean, now's your time. You can raise it and put it right back down. It's fine. If not, that's fine. We just want to give that opportunity. If you're here and you've been walking with Christ and you know the reality of the salvation that's offered in Christ, but you feel yourself in your your head, that, that philosophy and that empty deceit. If you feel yourself in your mind or your heart and you've been, you've been kind of going the other way with that too, listen, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but you know who you are. Things need to be adjusted sometimes. That's, that's how we live. I would just ask you to adjust those things, to leave here better having spent time in the Word and with the God that loves you so much, that's why we're here. It's not about our successes or what we've amassed. Listen, it really is at that point of, of when it's all said and done, you believe or or not. That's the simple gospel message. And even believers begin to look over into other yards and begin to look into greener pastures. And listen, if that's you, just just you know. I mean, God knows what's going on. You don't have to confess that to anybody in this church. God already sees it, and he knows. And I would encourage you, just make things right today. And so, God, we thank you for our time today. We thank you for the gift of of your word and for the lessons that are offered in these scriptures. And, and Lord, I I pray for this wisdom that Solomon just kind of set aside and went about his way. You return us to that wisdom of daily seeking your word and your guidance, Lord. And, And if you happen to bestow a blessing on us or whatever, Lord, that's awesome too. But you just have your way in the lives that are here, Lord. We lift all these things up to you and we pray this stuff in Jesus' name. Amen.